from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Joy Powers. And I'm Sam Woods. Today, we're exploring the crisis facing Wisconsin jails and prisons, as at least three facilities remain in lockdown conditions. We'll look at proposals from the governor and the legislature, and their limitations. These are issues that have been going on for so long, it's not an overnight quick fix. Staffing shortages, access to care, increasing conditions. I mean, it's also a matter of deteriorating infrastructure. We'll learn what conditions currently look like for prisoners at Wapan Correctional Institution. Plus, we'll hear from a man formerly incarcerated there. Let's be true to what we say we are about. We believe other human beings or human beings have something redeemable about them. Let's live up to that. All of that is coming up on Lake Effect. But first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Sam Woods. And I'm Joy Powers. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's Lake Effect, we're exploring the ongoing crisis facing Wisconsin jails and prisons, where understaffing and deteriorating infrastructure have led to devastating consequences. We'll look at proposals to help improve conditions for prisoners. Learn what conditions currently look like at Waupun. Explore how staffing could be improved. And learn how advocates are working to help those still inside. We'll start with the latest from Governor Evers and the Wisconsin Legislature. Last week, Governor Evers proposed major changes to operations at several prisons meant to alleviate staffing shortages, end lockdown conditions, and make necessary updates to these aging facilities. Meanwhile, a package of bills introduced in the Wisconsin legislature would help improve conditions for people currently incarcerated by strengthening rules of prisoner rights. Vanessa Swales reports on local government for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. She joins me now to talk about this. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us once again on Lake Effect. Thank you for having me. We've been hearing a lot about what's happening in Wisconsin jails and prisons, and it seems like a lot of this might be due to staffing issues. What has staffing been like at Wisconsin jails and prisons? Well, I think, you know, one thing to really keep in mind is these staffing issues that we're going to discuss are really nothing new when we're talking about prisons and jails. It's frankly a issue that's happening across a lot of different carceral systems, both at state and local levels nationwide. But if we really focus on Wisconsin, the prisons here are vastly understaffed, you know, with an overall vacancy of 41.5% as of November 4th. That That's a lot. You know, this is not just one or two prisons. This is a number of prisons, including maximum and medium security prisons here um, that have been hit the hardest. And, and you know, if we, you, we kind of want to look at two of the hardest hits, Kettle Moraine Correctional Institution, which is, which is a medium security prison, and then we have Wapan. It has been a site that has been hit by a lot of problems, and staffing issues is only one of them. I'd like to start with this announcement from Governor Evers about his plans to alleviate some of the problems. What is he proposing? Yeah, so this week, um, Evers announced a plan with Wisconsin's DOC or Department of Corrections Secretary Kevin Carr that they would be lifting restrictions on Wapan and Green Bay Correctional um, Institution and 
you know, that would be looking at providing more access to services for prisoners, um, you know, reducing prisoner populations, specifically at Wapan, which is um, incredibly populated rather, and updating solitary confinement policies and 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 also kind of looking at improving correctional staff recruitment with um, the promise of higher pay. I mean, it is this, as you very much alluded to, a mixture of issues that have led to you know, a lockdown period for both Wapon and Green Bay and, and actually also Stanley Correctional Institution, which has resulted in a lot of concerning issues for prisoners and their family members who 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 have been voicing their concerns to to the media, including the, the journal Sentinel. As we get into the different things that Governor Evers is proposing, is there a timeline for anything he's laid out? So under Eva's decision, the the Department of Correction plans to transition Wapan to a single cell occupancy facility by March 1st. But it it seems like also they they haven't really said whether or not they're going to pull these facilities off of these restrictions. Is that right? Or, Or will they be moving them off of these restrictions at the same time, I, it, it's hard to kind of understand what's going to happen when. I think with the particular with the restrictions them, them, themselves, a timeline hasn't been given. I think the only concrete date is with regards to decreasing the population at at Wapon. Even before Governor Evers announced uh, his plan, there was legislation introduced by, uh, I believe, Representative Ryan Clancy. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so the the package of bills that were introduced really focused predominantly on improving conditions for prisoners. So, you know, raising the minimum wage for incarcerated people, um, requiring at least four bathing periods during the week, seven hours of recreational opportunities a week, and for those that are in solitary confinement to have, you know, more access to services and necessities. Also in that package, and interestingly enough, it it looks at jail oversight. You know, this one bill would see counties overseeing control of a jail if they vote to do so. But, you know, the package likely will not get a hearing as it probably won't gain support from Republicans. I was about to ask, how likely is it that they'll even get a hearing and and what are next steps? But it seems like if they won't even get a a hearing due to partisan fighting, it seems, uh, that these are basically dead in the water. That that might well be the case. So as we look at things right now, does it seem like there are any plans for immediate help for the people in these facilities or... Are we really still waiting to to see what that help is going to look like? From what we've seen this week, the plans that Eva's wants to introduce or is introducing, along with CAR, it is a waiting game. I mean, there is a definite date for you know one of the measures that he he, he proposed, but these are issues that have been going on for so long. It's not an overnight quick fix particularly if we're thinking about staffing shortages, access to care, increasing conditions. I mean, it's also a matter of deteriorating infrastructure in Wisconsin's oldest prisons. I mean, it's just not an overnight fix. And um, But I think it's certainly 
a big push from EVAs and 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 other officials to really address ongoing concerns that have been happening and have certainly been um, highlighted in recent months, particularly with with the lockdown periods at some of the prisons. And the many deaths at this point. Yes. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us here on Lake Effect and sharing your work. Um, I look forward to seeing what what will happen and, and how quickly it'll happen. Great, thank you for having me. Vanessa Swales is a local government reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. A warning to our listeners, our next conversation will discuss suicide and descriptions of death. In less than a year, at least three prisoners have died at Waupon Correctional Institution. The prison has been under lockdown conditions for around eight months, and according to people incarcerated there, things have continued to deteriorate. Initially, the Wisconsin Department of Corrections denied the lockdown was happening. Then it blamed these conditions on unspecified actions of prisoners. Now, with this most recent announcement from Governor Evers, the Department of Corrections seems to be acknowledging these conditions are due in part to its own mismanagement. Currently, Waupon has a vacancy rate of nearly 55 percent for correctional officers and sergeants. That means they have less than half the number of guards needed to operate the facility. And although last week's announcement ended some restrictions, Waupon continues to restrict showers, visitations, and recreation due to staffing. Mario Coran is a local investigations fellow with the New York Times who's been covering this story. He joins me now to talk about it. Mario, thank you so much for being here on Lake Effect. Thank you for having me. So a lot has happened uh, since we last spoke, but I'd like to start with the deaths at the prison. How many prisoners have died, killed themselves since we last talked about the deteriorating conditions at the prison? Yeah, so tragically, uh, three people have died since the lockdowns began. Um, that happened in March. Um, so it's been about eight months. And um, those who have died, um, one of them has been confirmed as uh, somebody who took it his own life. And the other two are pending the results of investigation. So we don't know currently if they were uh, attributed to suicides, but it's possible. So we're talking three deaths over, you know, eight month span. That's that's a lot of people. Uh, how are the people at the prison, the people running the prison, how do they explain these deaths? Right. So we haven't heard a lot, actually, from the Department of Corrections on this question specifically. And I, you know, I haven't cert- certainly been able to speak with too many people at the prison about this uh, the staff, I mean. But I can certainly tell you from the perspective of those locked up in there, it's something that is very pervasive. I mean, I had a a letter sent to me recently from uh, somebody who was locked up talking about uh, one of these deaths. And I don't mean to speak in vulgar or or too graphic terms, but um, we're talking, uh, you know, he was a witness to, um, to the person's body. The body was just left outside of his door as he had to eat lunch for hours and hours. Um, it was left outside. So these sorts of images, these things are just um, really kind of building up uh, on, on those incarcerated and often reaching a panic tone in letters they sent in the, in the, in the calls they make. So they left a deceased prisoner in plain view of, of other people who they're caring for. That is according to um, to somebody who's locked up who, who says he witnessed it. And that's part of the challenge in this is that we're hearing so many graphic details 
um, we have the three deaths and, and those are unfortunate and tragic in themselves. But we also hear from prisoners directly saying that they have either attempted suicide or are considering it simply because of these conditions and just sort of the the horror of being isolated uh, for days, weeks, months on end um, without really even regular access to showers. So this is something that is very, uh, it seems to be having a very direct result on the psychological well-being of, of prisoners and for good reason. I mean, we I think any of us could imagine that being a, a pretty horrific living condition to, to be stuck in. Now, Governor Evers has finally announced that there will be some changes that they're that they're trying to address the issues, ongoing issues at these facilities. But as it stands today, as it's stood for months upon months now, what are conditions continuing to look like at these facilities, according to the people who are staying there? Yeah, according to the the people, and we can take just to, I guess, set the table a little bit, we know of at least three prisons that are either on lockdown or modified movement, as the Department of Corrections like to, likes to say. They like to refer to it as modified movement. You know, for the most part, if we're just looking at Wapan, conditions are very similar to, to what they were when this was really first um, reported, since at least I first reported it in, in, in August. And that looks like uh, basically around the clock, 24-7, isolation in in a cell. Uh, most of of those incarcerated at Wapan are sharing their cell with a with a cellmate at the, at the current time. But really that's those are just cramped quarters and we're, you know, uh, we I hear descriptions of being able to to touch walls with each hand if you're standing in the middle of it. So these are very very, you know, small, certainly not luxurious conditions. Well, it seems like the level of isolation has in many ways continued. It, it seemed like when we last spoke that there might be some action that was Im- impending. And then in reality, not that much has has changed. Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, this week we had a major announcement from the governor's office and the governor's office announced sweeping changes, many directed right at this situation, right at the ongoing lockdowns. But the reality is, as you point out, I mean, this is going on, this is now eight months of conditions of this kind and very little change. And what that means is there still aren't regular uh, regular access to showers. There's still not regular access to recreation. You know, part of the Department of Corrections announcement this week, the governor's announcement was that, you know, they're really going to make a concerted effort to make changes by March of this year. Um, and that that's all well and good. This is the first real action or real response to this that we've heard from the governor's office, really, or from the Department of Corrections. But, you know, that's those are months down the line. And that's not lost on those who are incarcerated and know that, you know, that there are months remaining at the very least in the same type of environment they're they're living in now. Yeah. And it sounds like there are a lot of people still who their mental health, their physical health uh, is deteriorating day by day. It seems like we've seen both this response from the governor and legislation that is meant to address some of these ongoing issues. I know that you've also spoken with some of the people advocating for these prisoners on on the outside. How have they viewed the actions from our government? I think there's a little bit of of relief in the sense that it seems that 
in, a, in an announcement like this that the governor's office, that the, the head of the Department of Corrections, they are at least acknowledging that this is a problem and that this is a problem in need of a solution now. And so I think that there's a little bit of encouragement there from advocate side of the house. But, you know, I, I also don't think that it's lost that the, there, there are loved ones, there are people on the outside who are very, very scared about the well-being of their loved ones inside. And, um, you know, I think you or I or anybody can understand that until somebody is really out of threat, a loved one is out of threat, we cannot really stop worrying about them. So these protests have continued. Um, advocacy has continued. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that the that the uh, the mission is complete from their perspective by any means. One of the things that stood out for me um, from the statements I've heard from Governor Evers and uh, from the legislation that's pending is this acknowledgement that part of this is staffing. Has there been that same kind of acknowledgement from DOC, or are they saying that this really has to do with some undisclosed incidents that happened? I'm glad that you brought that up because that is one major piece of this that has seemed to change a bit. When I first started reporting on this, at least, the Department of Corrections and the governor's office, the Department of Corrections was uh, a bit reluctant, it seemed, to acknowledge that staffing and high vacancy played a role in this. I mean, they wanted to point to these, as you mentioned, these undisclosed sort of threats, these sort of vague descriptions of violent behavior as reason for the lockdown. But as time went on, it became clear and clear that any type of assaultive type of situation that you wanted to put a stop to, if you're in the third, fourth, fifth month after that, it, it seems pretty clear that there's something else going on there. And so what it, what this is really is an acknowledgement of the staffing at, at the core of this problem. And that, that may have been something that the governor's office and Department of Corrections could have acknowledged from, from the beginning. Uh, we see their message change a bit over time. But, uh, you know, the point is that now they are pointing to it and, and talking about this sort of chronic problem that stretches back years and has now reached a crisis point. With that in mind, I'm not sure if there has been a justification or further justification of these, I'm going to call them relative lockdown conditions, but how does the Department of Corrections justify continuing to put these people in a position that they know is impacting their physical and mental health, despite the fact that this isn't really being seen as punitive anymore. It's being seen as, it, it seems, something that is is the fault of the government, is the fault of the Department of Corrections. Yeah, that's a, that's another good point. I think I, I think one way of looking at this announcement from the governor, and you know, it, even if it may not solve all the problems or solve them immediately, is that it is a um, uh, an acknowledgement of a the problem and b that steps must be taken to to undo that until uh, until recently, I guess the position of the at least the Department of Corrections was that kind of inmates brought this on themselves. You know, they pointed to the assaultive behavior. They pointed to uh, threats. And, you know, we have these internal documents that the warden of Waupun prison, uh, you know, sends along to those locked up there um, that says basically, you know, it gives them a list that says, look, this this lockdown can't be lifted until you guys stand up for morning count, until you stop putting things on the window, which is against our policy. Right. So it was this list of rather sort of, I, I guess, relatively petty behavioral uh, infractions 
that they were sort of couching as the reason that these lockdowns continued, sort of until you guys shape up. These are the conditions that you have to live in. That seems uh, a bit of its own psychological torture. It, it does. It does seem a bit, I, you know, I imagine at least if I was in that position, I would feel a bit perhaps gaslighted. Yeah. What do we see as the immediate next steps at Wapan? Um, are there immediate things that can and will be done? Or are we really looking at months in the future before anything substantial changes? So there's a timeline, at least to the governor's proposal. And, you know, the governor has pledged in this in this announcement to take immediate steps toward enacting these plans and um, start, I guess, reducing the, the population at Wapan by moving out at least 200 inmates and 200 prisoners um, by March. They didn't go into great detail in the release, saying that there are available beds offline that they're going to bring online. So uh, apparently there are uh, beds in the system where where people can be moved to, which will reduce some of the the pressure here. But that's three months, you know, that that's months down the line. And by the time we reach March, that'll be a full year under these conditions. And so the clock is really ticking, I think, for uh, uh, for those inside there who remain in these conditions. All right. Well, Mario, thank you so much for joining us once again here on Lake Effect and sharing your work. Oh, thank you, Joy. Mario Coran is a local investigations fellow with The New York Times. Our coverage of issues facing Wisconsin jails continues. Later in the show, we'll speak with an advocate who is formerly housed at the Wapan Correctional Institution about what the goal of incarceration really is and how it impacts people. But first, we'll look at how Wisconsin compares to our neighboring states when it comes to prison spending and overcrowding. That's coming up on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM Milwaukee's NPR. You're listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Sam Woods. And I'm Joy Powers. Wisconsin spends more per capita on its prisons than any of its neighboring states. It has the highest black imprisonment rate in the country. And right now, Wisconsin prisons are housing about 4,000 more people than they have room for. A recent report from the Wisconsin Policy Forum highlights these trends and some policy changes that could help. Jason Stein is the research director at the Wisconsin Policy Forum. I recently spoke with Stein about the report's findings, and he begins by explaining how Wisconsin's overall incarceration rate differs from our neighboring states. Well, Wisconsin has a higher incarceration rate than any of its neighboring states and also than the national average. Now, our our neighboring states are generally below the national average in terms of their imprisonment rates, but, but we are above it. Uh, we imprison about 344 inmates for every 100,000 people in the state, and that's compared to you know a national rate of about 316. And our, our rate is is more than double, let's say, what it is in Minnesota, which would be the have the lowest rate of our neighbors. Because of that, we also spend quite a bit more because obviously your, your spending on prisons and corrections is very tightly tied to how many people do you have behind bars. And in Wisconsin, the spending is again higher than our neighbors, higher than the national average. 
we spend about $220 per year on corrections for every state resident. So $220 per capita, the national average is about 182. Uh, Again, we spend about twice as much as per capita as what Minnesota does. You you mentioned per capita spending here in Wisconsin, but overall, I think in the report, it said 7.3% of the entire state budget um, is dedicated dedicated to corrections. The Department of Corrections does operate 37 prisons. There are about uh, a little over 21,000 people incarcerated in Wisconsin prisons um, as of August 2023. So it's a lot to spend some money on, but as you mentioned, it's a lot more than, than than our neighbors. On the note of comparing Wisconsin to neighboring states, the report also mentions that there's a particularly stark racial breakdown of incarceration rates in Wisconsin, um, particularly for black residents having a much higher incarceration rate uh, than white residents of Wisconsin. Um, Do we see similar racial breakdowns of uh, incarceration in neighboring states? Sure. We have the highest black imprisonment rate of any state in the country. Mm -hmm. So we're we're higher than all states, obviously, including our neighbors. Um, If you look at that rate in Wisconsin, it's a little under 12 times that of the rate of imprisonment for white Wisconsinites. And so that gap, that black-white disparity in Wisconsin is the third highest of of any state in the country. Again, it it would be substantially higher than, than our neighbors. Shifting gears a bit to speak about uh, conditions within Wisconsin's prisons. So um, for several years now, people incarcerated within Wisconsin's jails and prisons, as well as activists and people who were formerly incarcerated uh, within Wisconsin, have been calling attention to uh, conditions there, uh, particularly pointing to a lack of medical and mental health care uh, across the board, across uh, Wisconsin's prisons, leading in recent years to people dying while incarcerated in Wisconsin's prisons, as well as a lack of time spent outside of cells, uh, particularly at Waupon Correctional, where people incarcerated there have been on lockdown now for months. And the Wisconsin Policy Forum's report touches on a few reasons why conditions at Wisconsin prisons have gotten so bad, um, one of which is something that we've heard from the Department of Corrections statewide, as well as the Sheriff's Office locally, um, is that there is currently a staffing shortage within Wisconsin prisons. So um, because we're finding it difficult to hire and retain correctional officers, that we just simply don't have the staff for things like recreation time, medical care, etc. But the report also mentions um, overpopulation in Wisconsin prisons being an issue. In the report, uh, you all mentioned that Wisconsin's prisons have a capacity of 17,500 inmates. And currently, as of this summer, there were 21,500 inmates uh, incarcerated in Wisconsin's prisons. So not only is there a lack of uh, trained correctional officers within prisons, but the prisons themselves are housing about 20% more inmates than they uh, have the capacity to. So, Jason, can you talk a little bit about this dynamic between staffing shortages and overpopulation and what it means for conditions within Wisconsin's prisons? A couple things I think we could we could say about the prisons are, one, it's not only that they're over capacity, but many of them are very old. You know, I mean, Waupon was built, parts of Waupon were built I think pre-Civil War. You know, some Green Bay was also built in the 19th century. So 
not it's not only it's not the case that these are in every instance state of the art institutions that just happen to be run with more inmates than they were designed to have they're also in many cases very old and so they don't necessarily have the systems in place and the design in place that would allow them to be run in a better manner for both staff and inmates. And then you add on to that, you know, we sort of talked about the impact of um, the overtime and the staff vacancies on the staff, but there's also a lot of wear and tear on the inmates who are within the institution because what have you got to do when you don't have adequate staffing? You've got to limit the movement of inmates because you don't have the staff that you need to implement the proper security protocols associated with the movement. And then that can eat into the recreation and enrichment activities that the inmates can have, the programming they can receive, um, you know, potentially the contact that they might have with the outside world in some instances and you know medical care perhaps in some instances and so that's going to have an impact on the morale of the inmates and 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 potentially the ease in which you can you can run the institution so again there may not be any other option for the people who are running the institution in the short term but it's not it's it just adds to those sustainability challenges for the overall institution to go week after week or month after month with, you know, limits like that in place. So that is part of also what is what is driving this. Um, and then, you know, as we look to the overall system, again, when we look at what our prison population is and we think about, you know, what our prison institutions are, um, another challenge is that if inmate levels remain relatively high, um, we're going to need to replace some of these, these aging institutions, I mean, which are, they're beyond aging, they're, you know, in many cases, quite old. And there would be a really significant capital cost to that. You know, so far, we've just been talking about the day to day, year to year cost of operating the prisons that we have. But, you know, to the extent we have to renovate or rebuild existing institutions, there's a substantial cost to taxpayers with that. So a significant driver to uh, current overcapacity in Wisconsin's prisons that's mentioned in the report is revocations. And so in a broad sense, revocations just refers to someone returning to prison. So they had spent some time in prison, were let out, and then now come back in. Um, but this can happen for a number of reasons. It can happen because, you know, they were convicted of another crime. But it can also happen for, uh, like, technical violations of parole. And in 2021, the state made some changes to its revocation policy that led to a decrease in people returning to prison without committing another crime. But Jason, can you talk about revocations and their role in uh, Wisconsin's prison system? Revocations as a whole are, which can be either for uh, new crimes or, as you say, technical, you know, violations, which, you know, in, in past years could be things like failing to abide by substance abuse uh, requirements, things like that, have been a substantial 
you know, in contributor to um, the admissions of prisons. You know, in in some years, let's in the two thousands, as much as forty three percent, or more than two out of five people who were coming into a prison system were not doing so. You know, on the bait. You know, we're not individuals who were off of supervision who had just committed a, a crime for the first time. They were individuals who had been uh, released from prison back into the community, and then based on something that that they had done and a determination that had been made by the corrections agency, they were returned to a state institution. And so that has been, you know, something that has drawn the attention of many policy analysts, including uh, the Wisconsin Policy Forum, as something that you know, is an avenue that's really contributing to more people being in the correction system and also potentially a detriment to public safety because revocations are associated with with some violation of a rule. And so looking for ways to to lower or reduce those revocations over time, you know, to ensure that people can continue to be part of the community, become part of the workforce, and at the same time, um, you know, the, the rules are also kept and, you know, public safety is maintained as well. That was Jason Stein, Research Director at the Wisconsin Policy Forum. John Zardani is the lead author of the Wisconsin Policy Forum's recent report, Prison Blues. Coming up, we'll speak with a formerly incarcerated activist about how the goal of prison should be rehabilitation, not retribution. That's next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. And I'm Sam Woods. While people incarcerated at Waupon Correctional Institution have been forced to remain in their cells for nearly 24 hours per day, protesters have rallied at the prison to highlight conditions there. One of those protesters is James Morgan, a community organizer for the organization Madison Organized in Strength, Equity, and Solidarity, also known as MOSES. Morgan was incarcerated in Wisconsin for 24 years until he was paroled in 2007. He spent some of that time at Waupon. He believes Wisconsin's prisons are designed for retribution, when he believes they should be designed for rehabilitation. That the goal of prisons shouldn't be strictly to punish criminals, but that prisoners should leave and be better able to contribute to communities than they were when they went in. You were part of a group of protesters who uh, protested outside Wapon Correctional Facility um, about conditions there and about the fact that um, inmates have been locked on lockdown for months and hardly able to leave their cells. Can you talk more about what you've heard from people who are currently incarcerated inside Wapon Correctional about conditions there? The conditions that were described, okay, uh, didn't just come through the media. You know, I have a core links of counsel individuals who are literally in that prison at this moment can reach out and share information about what is actually happening inside that prison. And when they started talking about there being uh, bats and birds in the cell halls and, you know, feces and all these other things, I was literally not surprised. Okay, 
because I know, number one, the age of the place, okay? And, you know, the conditions. Uh, years ago, I was in a lockdown at Wapon. Okay, so I know what that process looked like. You know, everyone going into their uh, assigned cells and, you know, limitations on recreation, limitations on access to the library, limitations on access to education, uh, you know, all of those things that provide some sort of mental, emotional stability to individuals who have to be in those spaces. Okay, so it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you're turning in on your own environment. Uh, you're not feeling as though no one is seeing you, no one is hearing you. Uh, you know, your, 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 your mental health issues, your physical uh, health, all of those things begin to deteriorate, you know? And, 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 and for us to expect that, uh, you know, it's something different for an individual that's in a prison as opposed to a person who's not in a prison, uh, you know, I think we really need to rethink that one, uh, but we're all human beings, okay? Uh, and, you know, I use the analogy that, you know, people say, well, you know, um, you know you're, you're resilient, you're strong, you're this, you're that, but also know that, you know, uh, concrete at a certain temperature will begin to crack. Why not a human being? Yeah. Well, there are probably folks listening to this interview who see prisons as a place that is supposed to be terrible, that you should not have access to things like recreation, and you should be sitting in your cell, using your time to think about what you did and come out never wanting to go back. Um, but listening to you emphasize the need for rehabilitation of someone who is going into prison, that they should be better when they're coming out, it sounds like it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Like if our goal is to have people come out of prison a better person than when they came in, that we're going to have to do a little bit more than just make them make conditions there so terrible that they never want to go back. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. I, I want to ask, what would, you, what would you say to someone who does think along those lines, that prisons should be so terrible that you never, ever want to go or go back? We often say to people that we have in our groups, we're talking about mistakes, okay? But then sometimes there's an intentionality in that mistake. And, but we never try to figure out why there is an intentionality. I've had people say, uh, yeah, that's what they deserve. You know, yeah, prison is supposed to be a horrible place. And it is in and of itself. It's a horrible place. Isolation loneliness, becoming totally dependent on someone else for your everyday need. You know, what you wear, what you eat, you know, whether you can get exercise, okay? Whether you have access to medical care, whether you live or die, all right? That is a reality of incarceration and imprisonment, okay? But now, let's back that up. We're in a country that says or pretends to say that we believe in second chances, right? So let's uphold that, okay? Let's be genuine in what we say we are about, all right? Whether it's here in Wisconsin, whether it's in Alabama, wherever it is, let's be true 
to what we say we are about. We believe other human beings or human beings have something redeemable about them. Let's live up to that and see what happens, okay? See what happens. It's not going to always turn out in a productive way. But for those who do, take me for example, I get the opportunity to go into some of the schools here and talk to the young people about, here's why you don't want to be there. Here's why you don't want to go there. Here's where you can get some help before you get to that point, okay? Here's what we can do in combination with your family members, with your mother, your father, your community to help you avoid that fate, all right? So the second chances become a part of the narrative of how to deter people from having to experience it the first time. Let us find a balance. That's what I'm saying to, to, to those who are listening, to those who are experiencing this. Let us find the balance in our capacity to uh, feel emotionally about these issues and use our other capacity to think logically about how do we find the appropriate answers and solutions to these issues. I get the fear component. I get it, okay? Fear and those who have the capacity to manipulate our fears are the persons that are most dangerous to us. They'll keep us locked in psychologically and emotionally, fearing perhaps even our own children, okay? If they misbehave in a certain way, or you see something that's out of character, uh, and and begin to label them, you know, oh, you're gonna, you're not gonna be this, and you're gonna end up in jail or prison, as opposed to that embracing approach to say, what's going on with you? What's happening? Can we help? We've heard from the State Department of Corrections, uh, as well as the local sheriff's office here in Milwaukee. Uh, that staffing shortages are the root cause of terrible conditions uh, at Wisconsin's prisons and jails, Um, that there's no recreation time because of staffing, the food is terrible because of staffing, Uh, the the inadequate medical and mental health care is because of staffing. But James, uh, in your view, or or from people you've heard from inside Wisconsin's prisons uh, right now, is staffing shortages really the root cause of these issues, or is there more to this than just staffing? Well, when we when we talk staffing, you know, what what the information I've received recently, uh, and I know that over the past week or so, there's been a, a lot of training going on for new correctional staff. I know that the Wisconsin legislature approved the uh, pay raises that they were seeking. Uh, to hire new staff, but, you know, and I've talked to, you know, some people who work in corrections uh, on the supervision end, okay, probation and parole agents about what they thought about, you know, the lack of staffing in the prisons and, you know, the new hiring processes that are going on right now and whether or not that's really the solution. What is the actual solution, okay? actual solutions part of it is to really look at uh, 
you know, what type of, uh, and I don't like the word programming, but what type of projects or activities can you provide within the confines of those institutions that keep people productive throughout that period of incarceration? So, you know, again, it's going to take, uh, number one, uh, what's happening now is not gonna get us there. We're not getting any kind of responses from the governor's office on these issues. We're not getting any kind of uh, transparency from the Department of Corrections. Uh, the Secretary of the Department of Corrections to even engage in a conversation uh, around some of the potential possibilities of, of how you know we can begin to address some of those inner uh, operational things that will, to some degree, uh, prepare people to come back in ways that are healthy, so that isn't a, a further uh, burden on the taxpayers. Okay. Uh, we, we cannot forget that because, you know, taxpayers are paying for all of this, all right? Uh, and so, you know, having that conversation, having that conversation from a perspective of being transparent and honest. So rehabilitation and, and coming out of prison a better person than when you went in has been a common theme of, of this interview. And so I want to make my last question of the same theme. Um, let's let's say let's let's assume that the goal of prisons is rehabilitation that you know we want every person who comes into prison to leave a better person ready to contribute to society to not commit any crimes in the future etc right rehabilitation and james in your view is that happening um, and, and if so, what about um, the way Wisconsin's prisons are set up currently aids in that goal of rehabilitation and becoming a better person than when you went in? What works is when people are able to make that connection with other human beings that will support them in that process of creating a different path for themselves. Okay, notice I said for themselves because they have to invest in it. I had to invest in where I am today, okay? I, I couldn't do it alone. I had to unlearn a whole lot of things about who could, would, should help me or not help me. But I knew that I had to have an understanding that nothing was going to change until I began to participate in it, all right, as well. Uh, and that's breaking the cycle of dependency that happens to people while they're in prison. It begins there, okay? Allowing individuals a little room to make some choices and decisions that are beneficial to them, as opposed to the constant, no, you can't do that, okay? You're not allowed to, okay? Or they're not gonna let you, all right? create a modicum of space where people can start making choices and decisions that impact their lives, okay, and the lives of those who they're going to be connected to while they're in prison, as well as when they're coming back to the community, okay? Uh, so I think, you know, that space, that, that space exists there, okay? It takes some people to really want to look at it and see how they can enhance it to the that it becomes one of the primary change factors, okay? And this thing called incarceration or imprisonment, all right? The physical environment, you know, people said to me, you know, they've been watching 
uh, videos about prisons in the Netherlands and how they have these huge kitchens and all this beautiful stuff, you know? And I go, yeah, but in this country, that's a utopian idea, <laughs> okay? <laughs> that reality doesn't exist here, all right? And the reason is because those nations are focused on uh, rehabilitation. Those nations are focused on uh, the capacity of human beings to become better as opposed to worse, okay? We're not there yet. Uh, we, we got a long way before we get there, okay? But in the meantime, I don't wanna see young men and women or adult men and women or children, man, have to experience what I experienced in this system. No, we can do better. I say we, even though people may say, you don't deserve to even be out here and not, ah, I don't have time for that. It's time for moving forward. It's time for finding those things that are life affirming. We got enough death and destruction going on around the world, okay? And Wisconsin can be the leader in this. It's gonna take some courage, gonna take some courage from our elected officials, okay? And the people who vote to believe in us enough, us to say, we can change this. We can change this, you know, not just for our state or our city or for a few constituents, but for all of us. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. <laughs> I'm gonna say this, when I spoke at the Capitol, I got up that morning and I thought, I said, wait a minute, because I had friends call me from Houston and other places around the country saying, wow, well, oh, man, what's going on? What y'all gonna do? I didn't have a clue at that point, but I did understand something I said, you know, because I'm a pet person too. <laughs> okay. And I said to myself, I said, if this would happen in an animal shelter, there'd be an outcry across this state. Okay. What is preventing us from having that same level of empathy for other human beings? I think that's the question we should ask and answer. Well, James, thank you so much for joining me on Lake Effect. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. James Morgan is a community organizer for the organization Madison Organized in Strength, Equity, and Solidarity, also known as MOSES. And that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm Sam Woods. And I'm Joy Powers. Today's show focused on the Wapan Correctional Institution is a follow-up to another special we did on jail and prison issues back in October. You can find that reporting at wuwm.com. If you missed any of today's conversations or you'd like to take Lake Effect on the go, download our podcast. Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of our shows on demand. Tomorrow on Lake Effect, we'll look at how to avoid deer in your car and what to do if you hit one. Plus, we'll learn about the Master Naturalist Training Program provided by the Ho-Chunk Nation DNR. That's tomorrow at noon on Lake Effect on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR.